3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Too hot? Or not too hot? That is the question. Every day we debate it. Is the economy overheated?
1: A house of pain.
3: Or just regular heated? house of pleasure. Was the personal income number a scorcher? Do we really need a trillion dollar infrastructure package when we already have so many job openings? Does it matter that FedEx can't find enough workers? And the president's whispering. All of those issues were in play today as the Dow rallied another 237 points. They come easy, don't they? And the S&P gained 0.33%, while the Nasdaq traded sideways, ultimately declining 0.06%. Next week, though, we end the hot versus not debate. Yep, we're going to do a backwards game plan tonight, because next Friday at 8.30 a.m., we get the Labor Department's non-front pay report for June. And I got to tell you, I think this will show more people employed and some wage growth, not enough to crush the market. But whatever the number is, you can expect the inflation hawks will come out of the woodwork. And they'll demand that the Fed do something now and do it now. Do it now. You can always find a Fed president, non-Fed president, Fed this, Fed that. You know, a guy fed in the title, and they're going to come out and criticize Pow. I am of two minds about this, and they may not be the ones you expect. My first mind says we'll have this; these, we'll still see these generous unemployment benefits. So it's really hard to get a clear picture of who's really working for work. I mean, really's looking? I mean, I got that's called ghosting. By the way, I got a lot of ghosts coming to my restaurant. They're ghosting. They're not really wanting the job. I don't know. We need to see the true face of the labor market. And until those benefits go away in September, we're not. My second mind says the money managers who want the Fed to slam the brakes on the economy aren't really worried about inflation or excessive government borrowing. They say they're worried. They might even mean it. But mainly I think they're just underinvested or short bonds. So they're getting squeezed and they want the Fed basically to bail them out. Look, I'm a journalist. Sadly, I have no subpoena power. But if I did, I bet we'd find that many of these guys who come on TV and blast the Fed are failing to disclose that they'd make a lot of money. If the Fed took their advice, these are largely the same people wanted the stock market to have a total down week rather than a great up week. Sorry. So they try to gin up a phony su- sense of surprise every time we get another piece of economic debt. Ooh, look how hot that is. Think about it. We've read article after article about how businesses can't find w- workers when you've got help wanted signs all over the place. There's nothing shocking about rising wages, is there? Honestly, wouldn't it be shocking if wages didn't spike? That means Friday's non-farm payroll number could still be pivotal because even the coolest number can be spun as too hot, and it will be. You just need two or three billionaires to come on the air and explain how Fed Chief Jay Powell is hurting working families by allowing inflation to run rampant. If you're rich enough, people take you seriously, even when you talk about how we need to protect workers from higher wages. And I call them oligarchs these days, and that is meant as derision. Anyway, what matters here is that Jay Powell has made his position incredibly clear. While inflation is running hot, he thinks it's transitory. He refuses to raise interest rates until we have less unemployment. So Friday's jobs number would normally be climatic, except that we have so many money managers who want to hype this report up as the end of the world. Not for them. Oh, no, not for them at all, but for the poor downtrodden early wage earner, the hourly wage earner. You know, that's who they care about you know they actually say it with a straight face? Uh, really extraordinary in its bogosity. What else is coming up? OK, next on Monday, uh, we get one of the best uh, brommers of both work and home. And that's Herman Miller. You know, they make those great air, air on chairs. I got to get an air on chair. Sure. I got one downtown. Uh, they're expensive. Uh, they also make expensive home furniture. Ever since COVID locked us down, this stock has been a one-way ticket up. But that ended with the latest last earnings report. I think Herman Miller's feeling like a pandemic play. And what we're looking for, Post-pandemic plays, call me a tad nervous. Tuesday after the close, we hear from Aero Environment, the drone company. We used to have them on all the time. Unmanned aerial vehicles are pretty cool, but what I care about are unmanned ground vehicles. Right now, we've got a real shortage of trucks, drivers, and uh, truck drivers. And air. by the way, Aero Environment looks like it might have some answers. I like that. the website's really good. Wednesday. It is the huge earnings day of the week, and it starts with STZ, Constellation Brands. Uh, I like the maker of Modelo, Corona, and Pacifico, the last being our biggest seller at my small plate restaurant, Bar San Miguel in Brooklyn. I am looking for a very big number, uh, with only COVID potentially holding them back, because they make these beers in Mexico. And Mexico is way behind us in shutting down the pandemic. I know that uh, it's fair to say Constellation has been ahead of the problem in Mexico, but I also know that there are many workers still not able to work. And then there's General Mills. All right, so General Mills, many of us worry it's going to get hit because of inflation. They're getting hit with all sorts of higher cost freight, boxes, crops, you name it. I'm absolutely looking for something else th- that morning. There's an acreage report from the federal government that might show a huge increase in corn, which could send the whole commodity complex Tumbling, And that will help General Mills. Plus, General Mills makes blue buffalo dog food. It's the number one name among dog sophisticates. NVIDIA, too, is not a sophisticate. He's getting uh, Perina. I don't like that. Perina's good. Anyway, I mean, what? Like, he's going to tell us that he doesn't like the taste? Oh, I don't taste. I don't like that, Jim. That's not what dogs do. I know dogs. Then there's my favorite of the morning. Bed Bath & Beyond. And that's run by the terrific Mark Tritton. Bed Bath became a meme stock simply because it's heavily shorted. The buyers wanted to break them, but they couldn't do it. In the meantime, I think this company might just show itself to be a darn good retailer with real product that could make this thing a brick and mortar survivor. Bed Bath & Beyond could be worth owning. Hey, let's get momentous. After the close, we get results from Micron, the DRAM and flash semiconductor maker. The last time they reported the stock peaked as though the semiconductor cycle was over. That's what everybody you know, see. No one said it. But it happened. I think it's ridiculous, and Micron has more room to run. But I hate to buck the bucket cycle. The decline has been torture, and I'm betting the shareholders will skedaddle on any uplift. As much as I like Micron, it's still a commodity chipmaker at a moment when I'd rather own proprietary chipmakers like AMD, where I think that Xilinx deal is going to close. Broadcom, which just reported a terrific quarter, and Nvidia, which two guys said is going to 900. Now we got two real good ones Thursday. First, we hear from Ross Brewer, who left the senior executive job at Starbucks to take over the one as CEO of Walgreens. She she needs to lay out a vision, hopefully for something bigger than more stores and more one-time only customers who only visit for the vaccine. I am not a fan of the stock of Walgreens. It's listless, and I think it has no real reason for being. I doubt anyone can change that downward trajectory, except for maybe Brewer and a handful of other merchants. I wish her the best, but Walgreens has been a real bow-wow. Second, we've got Kramer, Fave McCormick. Yes, the spice company, all right? Uh, at the hot sauce mustard company. For a long time, this was a sleeping machine that people started cooking at home during the pandemic. It suddenly caught fire. Uh, You know what? We're still cooking today. I mean, no one's like stopped cooking. But with restaurants reopening all over the place, people are going out more and more. That's what that Darden quarter said. Huge pent-up demand. Plus, McCormick's up against some tough comparisons versus last year. All week, I've been trying to show you how to catch the easy money. McCormick's hard money. Sick to what works in and out of the home. Sick to beer, which tastes great at home or in my restaurant or any other place. But bottom line, though. Next week's all about Friday's non-farm payroll report. Regardless of what the actual number is, the inflation hawks are going to come on TV. They're going to make a lot of noise about how the economy's hurting and these oligarchs. Their goal is to help the working person. That they can say it with a straight face crushes me. Don't even bother to listen to them. Mark in Illinois. Mark. Hey, Jimmy Chill, big booyah to you from the Midwest. All right. The chill says hi. What's happening?
2: Well, earlier this year, you listed travel as a theme for investing in 2021. My stock with a 52-week high of 187 and some change in 52-week low of 75 and some change is Expedia Group. Uh, EXPE, hold, sell, or buy. Horse. Horse.
3: (coughs) Buy, buy, buy. Plain and simple. No more questions. I must have talked too much about my dog. All right next week my dog's name's nvidia the second next week it's all eyes on jobs friday all right that's why i started there i did not start usual from there i start went right to the right to the source no matter what the inflation hawks will say the economy is overheating and it's time to tighten because they want to help the little guy <laughs> don't listen oh man buddy tonight with the s&p hitting another record high is oh, well, you gotta ask is your portfolio in a prime position to profit I'll be the judge of that when we play MI Diversified, which you've asked for. The Nike stock is jumping higher than Michael Jordan. I'm breaking down the company's latest earnings and why Sophie people caught it right. Uh, Matthew Boss sure did when he was on our show, by the way. And as a vac- vaccinated summer kicks into high gear, sales are surging in the post-pandemic beauty boom. Who could bank on that trend? Well, I am talking to one under-the-radar player that I think may be a winner. So stay with As I said before the break, next week we'll determine if we're too hot, okay, and this is what everybody's worried about, uh, or just hot. And on a day where the industrials came to play, but the NASDAQ took a bit of a breather, you're reminded just how important it is to have a portfolio that can take whatever the market throws at you. House of pleasure. Which makes it a perfect day to play MI Diversified. Now what happens here? This is where you call me, you tell me your top five holdings. I mean, admittedly you might have an let's say you have an index fund, but then you might own some stocks. Give me your top five stocks. I tell you for portfolio is diversified enough. Maybe you need to mix it up a little. I don't want every every single stock in one sector. And first up is a hashtag mad tweet from Casey.cole on Twitter. Booyah to you, Jimmy! Hashtag, and my diversify with my top five holdings. And the holdings are Boeing, Crown Castle, Marvell Technologies, and lock or LifeLock, and NVIDIA. Love all the hard work your staff does and your daily basis to help the little guys learn. Wow. Well, this makes me feel fabulous. Okay, first of all, uh, fellas, obviously a subscriber to to my Travel Trust newsletter, ActionAlertsPlus.com, member of the club, because all of these, every single one of them are Action Alerts names. Let's go over them. So Norton is a subscription service to be able to make it so that you do not get caught. In other words, they find out if you've been hacked. Uh, Marvell is an unbelievable technology company, whether it comes for 5G or high performance computing. Nvidia, this is a problem. They both do high performance computing. Crown Castle, one of the largest, uh, antenna companies in the, in the country, which is fantastic, and Boeing Aerospace. So we have to do what, we have to make a decision. I love both these companies, Marvell and Nvidia, but I am going to say that we're going to keep Nvidia. We're going to swap out Marvell all the way up here at 56, and we're going to get into a healthcare company, and the healthcare company that we're going to get into Oh God! We're getting to Abbott Labs. Abbott Labs, and this gentleman knows that why I had to hold my breath was because Abbott disappointed us so badly last quarter. Let's go to Franco in New York. Franco.
4: Hello, Mr. Kramer. My name is Franco. I'm Kung Fu New York City. Here are my top five holdings. They are GM, Apple, AMD. Southwest and Disney, am I diversified enough? What are your thoughts?
3: I love Franco's portfolio. I love it. First of all, I think GM is worth probably, I think it's worth 25 to 40% more than it's selling for. I think Mary Barr is chronically undervalued. And if she came on our show, she would find out that I am a huge backer. Okay. Uh, AMD, uh, this is a uh, I'm going to say it. It's Dr. Lisa Sue. That deal with Islands is going to close soon. We bought some for the charitable trust just today. Disney, Bob Chapek. I think Chapek's doing an interesting job. I've got to learn more. I've got to learn more. Okay, fair enough. I got to learn more. Uh, Southwest Gary Kelly is leaving, but he's leaving to be executive chairman. And I like that. He's going to hang out. What a CEO he is. And, of course, Tim Cook at Apple. So we have tech, but we have high performance computing and gaming. We have auto. We have entertainment and we have aircraft airlines. You know what? All right. We're not done. Let's go to Renato in Florida.
4: Renato. Hey, Jim, this is Renato in sunny Florida. Thank you so much for taking my call. I've been a long-time follower of you since the days of Cudlow and Kramer. I want to play Am I Diversified? My top five stocks are number one, Apple Computer, number two, Amazon, three, Facebook, four, Verizon, and number five, Clean Energy. Am I Diversified? Thanks a lot, Jim. This is a
3: very, thanks to you for those kind comments, this is a very interesting way to invest, okay? So you have Facebook, uh, you know, really just scoring. Uh, every day seems to go up. It's because of their shops' initiatives. They are now the friend of the small and medium-sized business. Before them, they were hated. This was the smartest thing Mark Zuckerberg ever did. Clean energy is a total spec. We had him on last week. It's about renewable natural gas, uh, cow manure, uh, Apple, what are we going to say? Apple's terrific. Verizon, I hear it's going to have a better than expected quarter. Amazon, stop believing that the Amazon Web Services holiday was bad. That's just propaganda. It's terrific. So we're going to call this a technology retailer. We're going to call this a technology retailer of a very different complexion. We're going to give this a telco. Uh, we're going to call this uh, entertainment. That's right, entertainment. And this is spec. I'm not calling it oil and gas. It's spec. And if you're going to have four that are like this, I am sanctioning a spec with it. I love those questions, those callers. Am I diversified is back. You asked for it. I typically like to write a written piece right here. But you know what? You want to hear from me? I want to hear from you. Stick with Kramer.
1: Coming up, investors who stuck with the swoosh were rewarded for their faith. Silencing the naysayers. How did Nike just do it?
0: Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsor job credit to get your jobs more. Vis- Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
3: How did so many of us get the stock of Nike so wrong? Making capitalization companies don't usually see their stock spike more than 15% on great earnings, unless a lot of people were very, very wrong or, of course, very, very short going into the quarter. I know because I was one of those people. We used to own Nike for the charitable trust, but over the course of the last three months, we unloaded our entire position. That's how worried I was about these numbers. Now, of course, I'm kicking myself for not sticking with this one, even as we ended up making lots of money early on for charity with it. So what happens here? What went on? What bogus worries scared people away from something that turned out to be terrific? First and foremost, there's China. Back in March, we learned that a handful of apparel companies like Nike and H&M were facing boycotts in China after they publicly vowed not to source any cotton from the Xinjiang region. That's the northwesternmost part of the country, where the Communist Party is viciously persecuting the local Muslim population. They've got a million people in internment camps, and these companies don't want to profit from their forced labor. In response, the Chinese government made an example out of H&M not Nike, H&M, the big Swedish apparel chain. The brand has basically disappeared from China's internet, and their landlords are forcing store closures all over the country. After that, you had to worry that they cracked down on Nike, too. Legitimate. That would be a huge problem, given that Nike gets nearly 20% of its sales from Greater China, and it's also the company's biggest growth engine. Sure, alienating the Chinese government would be very bad for business, but Nike has recently demonstrated a willingness to stand up for controversial causes. Remember, they signed Colin Kaepernick to an endorsement deal after he got blackballed by the NFL. Wouldn't they stand with political prisoners in China, too? What if some analysts asked them about Xinjiang on the conference call and management made some big pronouncement about religious freedom? Well, that was really what was keeping me up at night. Well, then we had a bunch of other concerns. The last time Nike reported, their sales came in weaker than expected. Not great. On top of that, winter storm Uri caused huge domestic shipping delays in February, which crept into March and caused major port congestion all over the world. What else? Last year, we saw a massive athleisure boom because millions of people no longer had to dress up for work. There was a widespread sense that this would be rolled back as the world returns to normal. And then for a while there, you had to worry if the Tokyo Olympics, which is a big Nike wake-up call, would end up being canceled rather than just rescheduled. Remember, Nike's a major sponsor, and a lot of the athletes wear Nike. Making matters worse, when Footlocker reported in late May, the company gave you a tepid forecast talking about ongoing pandemic-related store closures in Europe and Canada. Well, that made you feel like Nike, their best seller, might not be doing so well. Finally, thanks to all these issues, Nike had an increasingly ugly chart. Going into the quarter, this was the worst chart in the Dow Jones Industrials. Sometimes that's meaningless, but you had to wonder if maybe the bears knew something about this quarter that the rest of us didn't. But then Nike reported last night and it totally knocked it out of the park. We're talking about a monster $0.42 earnings beef off of a $0.51 basis with much higher than expected sales, up an incredible 96% year-over-year. On top of that, management gave excellent guidance for the next fiscal year, and then they did something that all of us dream about. They gave you a forecast all the way through... To 2025. So how did they do it? Well, let's start with China, because that was the biggest worry. Well, Nike's Chinese numbers weren't great. They, they were much better than feared. Sales up 9% year-over-year year on a constant currency basis. As CFO Matt Friend explained on the conference call, the boycotts hurt them in April, but most of the pain vanished in May, uh, and by now, well, they're pretty much over it. I feel like I was too paranoid here. See, I, I, sure, H&M did get obliterated, for defying the Chinese government. But Nike, Nike's not H&M. Some of that's because Nike's got a much bigger popular brand. Some of it's probably political. H&M is Swedish, okay? Uh, China can make an example out of them, and there's nothing Sweden can do about it. But Nike's a huge American operation. While our government's not on great terms with Beijing right now, they still have to think twice before they start cracking down on iconic U.S. companies. So while H&M's products got purged from the Internet in China, Nike's still the number one brand on T-Mall, the big Chinese e-commerce platform. In fact, they've added another million members on T-Mall through the June 18th shopping holiday. Today. I mean, that's incredible. When CEO John Donahoe was asked about China on the conference call, he didn't pontificate about human rights abuses. Oh, no. Instead, he sounded like Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks, who told us a great story about how this company has strong relations with its Chinese customer base. Donahoe pointed out that Nike's got a long history in China. His founder, Phil Knight, started making sneakers there over 40 years ago. The company's created tons of jobs there, including jobs at a new digital technology center that they're opening in Shenzhen. So there are two ways to look at this. Maybe Nike's brand is so big that it transcends politics. The boycotts just couldn't stick because Nike's in a class of its own. It's not like boycotting a cell phone maker or an apparel company. If you want Jordans, you're going to get Jordans. I'm not saying Michael Jordan's more powerful than President Xi, unless we're talking about one-on-one. I think there's some truth to this. If any brand can transcend politics, it is Nike. But if you look at it another way— Maybe Nike, the company, is just very good at politics. Before they took a stand against human rights abuses in Xinjiang, they had a great relationship with the People's Republic. And even when Nike took a stand, they did it in the least inflammatory way possible with a small statement on their website. They did the right thing, but they did it very quietly. Meanwhile, if you listen to the conference call, you never would have known this happened because management so effusive about how they've been created, well, a brand of China and for China. I was worried that Nike might get asked about the Xinjiang on the conference call, right? Ask about the persecution. But there was no persecution question. I'm betting there never will be. What about the other worries? Turns out Nike's getting much better dealing with logistics problems in this incredible DTC, uh, direct-to-consumer uh, business they have, which keeps growing and growing. People still can't get enough of their products, even as the stay-at-home economy has become the back-to-work economy. Maybe athleisure's here to stay. People like being comfortable. The Olympics is happening. And last but not least, the negative footlocker read-through was a head fake. When you hear about closed stores, just remember that Nike makes a lot more money by selling their products direct to you over the web, cutting out the middleman. It's going to be 50% of their business soon. The biggest driver of today's epic rally, though, when Nike delivered great numbers, proving the bears wrong, especially in China, it created the mother of all short squeezes. This is a big company. You had legion of shorts who bet against this thing, and they suddenly had to close their positions when their whole thesis collapsed. The bottom line, the next time an iconic company like Nike looks like it's getting itself into political trouble, you need to be a buyer, not a seller, because these guys know what they're doing. While the stock's far from cheap, business is booming. So you've got my blessing to buy some Nike the next time it pulls back. And I bet you my charitable trust, which you can follow along by, by uh, subscribing to actualersplus.com, my club. We'll probably buy it back, too. Can I go to Kyle in Kansas, please, Kyle? Booyah,
5: Jimmy Chill, I love you, and even though I'm 27, I want you to adopt me. <laughs> okay, my, que- <laughs> my question is about Peloton. This week, uh, Peloton introduced its new corporate wellness offering for businesses. Yes. yes. And it tremendously moved the stock up, but with Jim's opening back up, the losses against the company and the historical difficulty for fitness companies to stay trendy and sustain revenue in the long run.
3: Do you think it's time to sell Peloton? No, I think the Peloton actually was one of those companies that I didn't see think it's immediately initially. That really uh, came out of the pandemic with more people using it than before. It's still great word of mouth. Uh, I think you can let this one run at least to one hundred and forty. Let's go to Arthur in Missouri, Arthur. Hi, Jim. A big St. Louis booyah to you, and thank you for everything you've done for me throughout the years. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with me throughout the years. Absolutely.
5: So I want your opinion on a company that I already own and that I look at as a long-term investment. This stock is about 60% off its all-time highs with targets of approximately 30% upside. It's just barely above the IPO price and has a lot of insider buying. It is better. It has better margins than its competitors, which have traded higher recently. And the company is a reopening social media and e-commerce play in the fast growing secondhand luxury clothes and goods space.
3: Should I buy more, hold or sell a Poshmark? You know what? I'm going to tell you to buy it. And uh, one of the reasons I'm going to tell you to buy it is because uh, sometimes you get ideas from your daughter. And my daughter said, Poshmark is the one, Dad. I didn't believe it. I then looked in. I found everything you just said about it. And you're right. And Poshmark is a winner. It's expensive, but it is a winner. And they can come on the show anytime they want. Nike is far from cheap, everybody. But you have my blessing to do some buying the next time the stock pulls back. And you could say, well, Jim, why didn't you give me my blessing when it was 130 And the answer is because I got it wrong. What more Mad Money head As masks come off, could the beauty business turn on? Do not miss my exclusive with the company behind Hydra Facial. Then I'll reveal the beacon of hope I've spotted when it comes to what I consider to be the greatest existential threat to this market. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. For months, no one wanted to go near the SPAC stocks, right? Because we've all been burned by the entire group. But now we finally reached a place where the market can differentiate between the garbage SPAC deals and the rare good ones that are already real companies, a.k.a. DSPAC. Take the beauty health company symbol Skin for all you home gamers, which is a new medical aesthetics outfit created when a business called Hydrafacial merged with a special purpose acquisition vehicle uh, in early May. In the last two months, this stock has rallied from just under 10. all the way to 17 bucks and change. Skin is an interesting concept. They sell their hydrofacial delivery system to health spas. Boy, there's so many of those now. And dermatologists. Then they make money off disposable supplies, razor, razor blade, every time someone gets a $200 skin cleansing procedure. Unlike so many of these backstories, the beauty health company is a real business with real sales and even positive earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Best of all, it is backed by a familiar face, albeit a face that seems to look younger every time we see it. I'm talking about Brent Saunders, the former chairman and CEO of Allergan, who sold the company to AbbVie for more than $60 billion in 2019. So could this be another Allergan? Let's check it out with Brent Saunders, the executive chairman of the beauty health company, to kick the, the tires on this new company. Hey, Brent, welcome back to the show. Hey,
5: thanks for having me, Jim. I actually feel older. Maybe I look younger, but I feel older. <laughs>
3: well, you shouldn't. You look good now, Brent. First, because you're a familiar face to the show, I'm going to ask a question. Don't usually ask these people, which is why Spac versus uh, being a CEO at another company. I'm sure you're at the pick of the litter.
5: Yeah, look, I, I I actually didn't come up with the Spac. I came up with a strategy, which was to consolidate um, a beauty health company. This kind of quasi. Uh, market that sits between the true medical aesthetics companies and the beauty companies like L'Oreal. And once I had the strategy, I kind of said, all right, what's the best way to accomplish it? And SPAC was just the easiest capital formation. It had nothing to do with wanting to do a SPAC and then look for a target. I actually came at it strategically a little differently.
3: Well, but you know, what makes a sense. I mean, I was out in a little town called Doylestown, PA with my wife. And we were saying, you know what, when you're in these towns, and you and I are from Jersey, you go into a town and there seems to be a spa literally at every corner. Now, you and I both know those didn't even exist five years ago. First, why is that so? And second, what can Beauty Health do to differentiate them?
5: So, um, you're exactly right. The Med Spa channel is the fastest growing segment uh, in the aesthetics world, and skincare is growing faster than beauty and makeup. And so the confluence of those is is really driving this med spa uh, proliferation. And there's another uh, uh, interesting phenomenon that's happening, which is the democratization of of a lot of these treatments. In my old company, you know, we sold very expensive medical aesthetic procedures, um, and they were wonderful, and that that company is the best at doing that. Uh, But this is something that's, like you said, $200 on average across the country, highly accessible to a lot of consumers. Um, and they don't feel like they have to go to Park Avenue or Beverly Hills to get a treatment. They can go into their local spa and get phenomenal service, not be with sick people, be in an elegant environment with great music and a good
3: smell and, and be treated and pampered. Well, you know, it reminded me of when you go to a really fancy hotel and they have a spa treatment, but it's $600. I mean, this sounds you know, three steps, 30 minutes, best skin of your life. I have to say I want to try it out. I mean, where they, are you in New York?
5: absolutely we're all over the world and you should try it out because i will tell you there's no downtime um you'll be you'll feel great you know most consumers walk out raving we have one of the highest mps scores in the category i think the highest in the category depending on how you measure it um so incredibly high consumer loyalty uh and and you look great immediately you can go right back to work um your skin is clean it's glowing your makeup goes on better you you feel better about yourself whatever it may be you just it's just a clean health, clean beauty, um, feel good about yourself. self-treatment.
3: And what I think is interesting, ben, when you look at your doc, document, well, your, you know, all your different documents, it seems like this is something a lot of men, men are doing. Absolutely. In fact, you know, when you look at medical aesthetics, it was about
5: 10% men, 90% women. This is trending closer to 30%, and I think it's going to grow even faster as we launch more pro- programs and products directly directly at the mail. So this this is really omni-channel. We sit in Sephora. Uh, we sit in hotels. We sit in doctor's offices. We're all over the
3: place. Now, uh, to help us get around this, because you always great a valuation. $2.2 uh, billion, $2. $2 billion valuation, that's roughly 11 times this year's sales. Uh, that's 88 times the $25 million in, in EBITDA. First of all, you, you could say, Jim, first of all, most of these companies aren't even profitable. Ours is profitable. But second, I mean, you really understand where something sits in this space. Is, is that uh, are people ahead of themselves or is it just the growth prospects so great?
5: Yeah, I, well, I think the growth, I think there are two things. One, the growth prospects are tremendous. This is a company pre-pandemic that was growing over the last few years at a 52 percent CAGR top line. So really great top line growth, multiple levers for additional growth, not just expanding in the U.S., where we're, we're just, you know, um, very low double-digit penetration. Um, but international growth is, is massive for us. And then I think you have, to, you have to realize that when I acquired this company, I made this deal at the heart of the pandemic. So I bought this at, you know, a rock-bottom valuation. I think today's valuation reflects what it would have probably traded for if I tried to do the deal today.
3: And one last thing that I thought was really fascinating of the different thing you have influ- influencers and social media driving purchases. I agree with that next gen beauty, but this is something that I really like. Aging millennials are spending more on skincare, preferring experiences over products. So in other words, they like to go to a place called a spa. They're familiar with asking for this uh, for this product, uh, or will find it from influencers. And is it something they do on weekends? At night? Is it? I mean, because it seems like it's a. It's something that people want to do.
5: You're you're exactly right. And not only are they doing it on weekends at night, they'll do it on their lunch break. And what, what's even more interesting to the experiential component is we're seeing retailers, Sephora being a, a, a key partner of ours, but others around the world, wanting to put the machine in their store, even clothing retailers, to create a more experiential shopping uh, situation. Because this is something that can be done so easily, and again, everybody loves it. So it just creates such a good feeling for everybody involved.
3: But the machine is at the spa and it's a razor razor blade model. So uh, once people get right. excited about it, they, what, they can do a monthly subscription.
5: Uh, well, some places offer monthly subscriptions. We offer um, obviously it's like a Keurig machine. You can put whatever skincare regimen into our machine that you need, whether you have rosacea or acne, oily skin, dry skin. Um, we sell and upgrade people to boosters, which are higher margin, depending on advanced care. We're just launching a hair care uh, uh, program with CareViv that will really clean the scalp and help re- uh, refresh the scalp um, and, and put boosters and growth boosters in the scalp. We have a home device coming, so there's so many other things that are yet to come uh, uh, with this treatment. It's just we're just scratching the, the the beginning of of what's possible here.
3: All right, one last question. I'm used to to, to Brent, I'm used used to Brent Saunders as the CEO, not the executive chairman. You've got a pretty experienced, terrific CEO. But at a certain point, I mean, is it is it his company or is it your company?
5: But look, uh, I, Clint Carnell's our CEO. He runs the company day to day. That's his job. He's the boss. Uh, I'm working with Clint on strategy, on M and A, on investor work and, and really just as a sounding board to him as, as this is his first public company, but an incredibly experienced guy. And he's done such an amazing job with this company already. Uh, it's, I'm
3: excited to see what he does next. You go, so you go into the office, every, well, there's no real office anymore places, but you're, this is really active for you. You're not going to do three more SPACs. No, I'm not a
5: serial SPAC guy. This is, this is what I want to do. My legacy, hopefully, is the beauty health company. And I do this as a platform. I really want to build this company. I want to create a bundle of these types of services, these beauty health services, um, and and really be the best at the world at, at providing these technologies to med spas and hotels and estheticians around the world. Oh, I think
3: it's a great idea. I really do. And it just, I, I always laugh. I, I, I guess you did the same thing I did, which is like spa, 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 spa. Boy, what do they have? And what they have now is Beauty Health. Brent Saunders, executive chairman of the Beauty Health Company. It's not a SPAC. It's a company. Thank you. Great to see you again, Brent. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Man Money's back here for the break. Coming up next.
3: Let's make money together. What do we
1: got? is bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time. It's time the Lightning Round. It's And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? It's time for the Lightning Round. Michael in Virginia. Michael. Hey Booyah, Kramer, hope all is well, buddy. The Chill I Man is in, in the house, doing well. So What's up? number Timber at Uh, uh, AOTD, car lot. uh I'm done with the used cars for now. Carmax may have been the peak when it had that really great number. I'm staying away. Wendy in Georgia. Wendy. Yeah. Hi
2: Jim. Hi Wendy. How
3: you doing? I'm doing fine. How you doing?
2: Good. I got my whole family
3: here. They're all excited. Hey, hey guys. How you doing? Hi. Hey. hey. All right. It's, all right. Next yeah. caller, are oh, we stock. fit. It, maybe get a stock? Go yeah. ahead. Hit me, Wendy. Mankind. <laughs>
1: mankind. All right. Mankind. mankind.
3: Mankind. Speculative stock. I hated this stock for the longest time, and I was right. But everybody on Twitter kept saying, how could he hate it? The answer is now it's a speculative play that I like. And you can tell your whole family that it's just for speculation. There was some buzz that went off, Wendy. You can ignore it. Let's go to Zach in Washington. Zach. Hi, Jim. Hey, what have you heard about the debt-free company developing breast cancer treatment drugs, ATOS? Nothing. Because I don't know. i got to look into that one. I mean, that thing, that thing, that chart's certainly very positive. Let's go to and We're going to do a homework. Jerry in New York. Jerry!
2: Hi, Jim. A big booyah from Long Island, New York.
3: Oh, my wife's here right now. Well played. What's up?
2: Great. Six-time caller here.
1: Six-time? I'd like to know,
2: like to know your opinion about a company you recommended before. Should I buy, sell, or hold TPY Pace Beneficial Finance Corp?
3: Yeah, I thought that was a good. You know, to me it seemed like a decent SPAC. Uh, You know, the SPACs have all been kind of wiped out. Um, I don't want to give one. I don't want to give up on it. I just don't. And that legend. The conclusion of the lightning round.
1: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what can Nike and Starbucks teach the street about doing business in China? Kramer's got the answer next.
3: I have said it before, and I will say it again. The biggest risk to our stock market and our economy is the possibility that China may take a run at Taiwan. That's been a background risk for decades, but we don't normally worry about it because the Chinese Communist Party knows that the U.S. government would intervene. However, in recent years, China has stepped up its pressure on Taiwan. The Chinese Air Force keeps sending in planes to violate Taiwanese airspace. Last week was the biggest incursion yet, 28 fighter jets and bombers. They also keep hitting Taiwan with cyber attacks. Just yesterday, Taiwan's foreign minister went on CNN and said we need to prepare for military conflict with China. Remember, China doesn't acknowledge Taiwan's independence, and they want to get their hands on Taiwan's Semiconductor's massive foundries. While it would be insane for China to invade, they keep ratcheting up the pressure with their military exercises. So believe me, I am worried. But maybe I've been too dire in my in my projections. It, sometimes you let your political views and your fears get in the way of money. And that's what this story is about. Last night, we interviewed Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks, right when Nike reported an incredible quarter. And they both had great things to say about their business in China. I'm starting to think that the American companies who create lots of jobs over there could actually be fine, even if our government and the People's Republic stay on bad terms. Like I mentioned earlier, the Chinese government is aggressively prosecuting, persecuting Muslims in its northwestern region. It looks like they've put a million people in what can only be described as concentration camps. But when I asked Kevin Johnson what he was doing to fight for human rights over there, he said he's running Chinese stores with Chinese people who share the company's values. In other words, Starbucks isn't going to take a stand. And while that might not be the right choice ethically, it's absolutely the right choice for their investors. People who work there do very well, better than almost everybody in China. Nike was even more stark. While they didn't get asked about Xinjiang on the conference call, management sure made it sound like they're back on the Communist Party's good side. Sure, Nike got hit with a bit of a boycott this summer. I say bit because it wasn't full in uh, this spring when China went after foreign companies who criticized the rampant human rights abuses. But those boycotts didn't stick. Like Starbucks, they've been able to sidestep the issue, possibly because the analysts know that if they bring it up, maybe they might not be invited back on the next conference call. And it's not just those two companies. I think we're seeing a broader turning point in America's business relations with the People's Republic. Not government, but business. First, there's Tesla. After listening to Kevin Johnson John Donahoe totally avoid the Xinjiang issue, I don't expect Elon Musk to say anything about human rights, rights or religious freedom. Musk can be a loose cannon. But he knows how to make money, and I'm betting China will ultimately be Tesla's biggest market. Second, Apple has created a massive number of jobs in China. So I'm actually much more confident than I have been that they'll be able to keep selling iPhones over there. I am actually hopeful now that Boeing, which is still waiting for certification for the 737 Max, gets it because the Chinese need planes. Lots of them. When you see that happens Stock goes to 300. All that said, the Chinese Communist Party controls all these decisions. If they decide they want to get rid of Nike or any other business that will wreck the quarter and possibly the whole year, they can do that. That's why the stock went up so much. The shorts thought it would happen. And anyone on one of these stories can change on a dime. And the shorts sure, sure hope they will because that stock was up about 15 percent. Last night, though, Nike and Starbucks showed American companies that if they keep their mouth shut about human rights, yeah, then China will let them make a lot of money. Not exactly profiles and courage. But at the end of the day, these executives have a fiduciary duty. And that duty is to you to make money for the shareholders. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,